Hey guys, this is our weekly podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We're so glad that you decided to join. We are a church family passionate about seeing people worship Jesus, grow in their faith, and serve those around them. If you would like to learn more about Cornerstone, please visit us at cornerstoneione.org, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, Thank you. As I... uh, get my notes out this morning and just want to sing you a little song, if you will. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. That's all I know. I literally had to write it down. I, I knew the first part, but I couldn't get that. I was like, I'm not going to mess up. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. So, well, I did, but all right. So uh, that is actually how many of you guys remember that song? So this would be this is like Awana. This is I was in Sunday school my whole life. This is I'm Baptist. Like, how many of you guys remember? Raise your hand. Own that. You know that song. As soon as I start singing, you're like, na 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 na. Okay. All right. We'll just keep that here. Um, so this that song comes from a. A real story in the Bible that actually happened. It's not a parable. This really happened. So let's read it and uh, we'll get going. Uh, Chapter 19, verse 1. Chapter 19, verse 1. If you have a Bible, open that. If you have a phone uh, with an app, go to that. If you don't have any of that, Google it. Whatever, let's read the Bible and study it together so that we become familiarized with the Word of God. Um, As you're turning there, let's pray. Father, um, this week has reminded me, maybe more than some other weeks, that we are coming from different places. We all have worries that we're not necessarily ready to share with people. Um, Or we are in the midst of catastrophe. Or we're in a place where we feel ready to help others in need because we have been restored uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit or a brother or sister coming and who loves and cares for us, uh, sitting down and talking with us, um, a bouquet of flowers at the door or a text saying that they were praying for them. God, I, uh, I know it's not just social media. I, I know that there's really people that are hurting that cover it up or are lost and covered up, or are worried about something and covered up, or are afraid to make changes at the risk of other people seeing that they've made a mistake. You've got to pray that in the end, what we care most about is living a life that is honorable in your sight. And it seems it gets more and more difficult to do those things. As we study your word again this morning, move very quickly through a lot of text. Help us see big picture what you are teaching, what you are doing, and why. I pray that we would grow to love you even more this morning. And in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There is a man there named Zacchaeus who was a wee little mouse. Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector in the region and had become very rich. 
He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. Quickly come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down the climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be true, be a true son of Abraham. Verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. A wonderful passage for a bunch of reasons. Let's wrap our minds around what's happening. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes when somebody reads something to you, and you know they're going to explain it all. We don't maybe listen while we read. Um, and so let me help for those of us who maybe struggle to like just focus in right now. Um, and let, let me explain what, what we got here. We have a short person named Zacchaeus. Jesus is coming into Jericho, not Jerusalem, but Jericho. And Zacchaeus wants to see this Jesus person that he has inevitably heard about beforehand. And so this short, very rich man runs out and realizes I'm too short to see over the people in front of me. Now there's no stadium seating. And so he finds a tree. It, for some reason, is important to say it's a sycamore fig tree. He climbs up into that tree because he knows that as Jesus passes, he will be able to lay eyes on who he's already heard about. As Jesus is walking, he turns and finds the dude in the tree and calls him by his name. I do believe that part is 5 out of 10 important. It's not 2 out of 10. It's not not important, and maybe not 10 out of 10 important, but what's interesting is we don't believe Jesus has ever met Zacchaeus, nor did he necessarily know or proclaim, I'm going to go into a tree, let Jesus know. So Jesus is walking, looks up, sees Zacchaeus. As Jesus is fully man and fully God in his fully humanness, he doesn't know Zacchaeus or his name, but in his fully Godness, he does. And calls out to him and says, Come down from the tree. I must be at your house today. So Zacchaeus comes out of the tree, which typically isn't a quick process unless you fall, but he quickly comes out of the tree and goes and meets Jesus. They go to his house. And the crowd is thinking, out of all people, Zacchaeus, that wee little man. Meanwhile, what they don't know is that Zacchaeus is standing before the Lord and says that he, that he will give half of everything that he has to the poor. Why? 
First off, we already know why, because we've talked about in the past. That is one of the things that, that from the very beginning, God and Jesus himself pounds away at the heart of man. Be generous and help those in need. And so that is a display, I believe, of regeneration happening. And then he goes on to say, and if I have cheated people in their taxes, which is what he was known for, that's why people hated him, that's why people were grumbling, that's why he couldn't press through the crowd and get to see Jesus, that's why he couldn't pay people to come in and press through the crowd for him so he can kind of bulldoze his way in there. He says, if I've cheated somebody, I'll give them back four times as much. And then Jesus responds to all of this, and this is what he says. Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. And then verse 10 is another beautiful little passage of who our God is. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. This passage, the best I can relate to it, I don't know if you guys do this, when I read through the, the Bible, I know there's a big cultural difference. If somebody comes into town, um, they're typically in a car, and they just buzz by, and you get like three seconds of them, and they're gone. And I don't know if you see the limo that sometimes drives through town, but uh, that's, um, we don't like to admit this, but that's kind of a big deal here. There's not a lot of limos. This isn't SAC, right? Uh, this is Ion. We're like, a limo? Who's important here? You know, and really it's some like 16-year-old that rented it from the Buena Vista. <laughs> so what comes to my mind as I try to imagine what Zacchaeus is thinking through, what is the biggest time in Ione where there's crowds along the street and you're trying to see? Bingo. Homecoming. There's no trees though. However, there are dad's shoulders and there are balconies in a hotel. Right? And... I think that when we think about a parade, I think that we can wrap our minds around that. Or you go to a concert, right? And in our younger days, we stand 1,000% of the time for those. But as you approach apparently 33 to 35, <laughs> you've been thinking, can we just all sit down? Let's all just sit down. I'll take one earplug out if we all sit down. Because there is something about if you're... If you're trying to see something, we're visual people. We have eyes. It's what we respond to. It's literally considered stimuli. We want to see it. And so Zacchaeus comes and he wants to see Jesus. Now what we know is that Jesus knows a bit about Jesus. We don't know how much he knows or how much he doesn't know. But I would assume by the crowd that he knows just as much as them. He's in the know. He's very rich. He's a tax collector. So he knows everything that's being said about Jesus. And I suspect that something in him is responding to this truth he's hearing about Jesus. He's hearing what Jesus is doing. He knows there are prophecies being fulfilled. It has been, there's very few people in this culture, in this time and in Jericho, that wouldn't know about a prophecy of Messiah to come. And he wants to see Jesus. So he goes out, he can't see. He climbs up into a tree to see Jesus. Why would people grumble when he goes off with Jesus? It's the tax collector, right? If you spent time in the last four years with Cornerstone, we've hammered it and hammered it and hammered it. People didn't like tax collectors. And some of us were like, why do we need to relearn this? It's still the same case today. We don't like tax collectors, right? Now imagine if those same tax collectors that are relatively legal and lawful that we have 
they began to take advantage of us. And someone's like, it's the same today. But you got to wrap your mind around extortion, like illegal extortion, um, although it was turned a blind eye to, they were totally bankrupting some people. The last bits they had, they were taking. And then imagine if we were oppressed by a certain power and what these people did is those of us who gathered together and were like, man, they are oppressing us. We are us. One of those leave and then go begin working for them and then start collecting, collecting taxes from us. It doesn't matter how righteous you are. The struggle would be trying not to hate that person. These people were hated. And then Jesus spots the hated short man in the tree and says, I must go with you. The word there used for must is a word that is uh, spelt D-E-I and sounds like D-I-E. It means it's necessary and also has these connotations of duty. And I can't help but think that's got to be part of it. Why would Jesus say, I must be with you? Why not say, hey, little man in the tree, you obviously want to see me. It's very important. Um, Let me bless you and I'll go to your house. Are you okay with that? But it's part of Jesus' agenda to meet with him. It's all part of this plan. And so he knows him by name. Zacchaeus calls him down and then goes. I'm going to read you the central climactic point of this true story. Meanwhile, while everybody's grumbling, why would Jesus do this? Why does He meet with tax collectors? Why does He meet with prostitutes? Why does He meet with lepers? Why does He meet with people possessed by demons? Why is He doing this? Zacchaeus is sick in need of a doctor. He is lost and needs to be found. He's the sheep that has gone astray. He's the coin that is searched for and found. Verse 8, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I've cheated people of their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. His actions of giving to the poor, did that save him? And Cornerstone, Cornerstone says, No. What about uh, trying to right his own wrongs? Is that what saved him? Cornerstone says, no, because we know we don't earn the salvation. So what is happening there? How can Jesus at this point say salvation has come to this home today? It is because what we're seeing is the outward expression of an inward condition of a heart change. Before he was taking advantage of others, victimizing others, he was worshiping money, wealth, material things, and himself. But he has heard of this Jesus. The law had been written on his heart. His spirit found the truth of Jesus irresistible, and he went to see his Savior. And Z placed his faith in Jesus. Then out of his mouth and by his actions of his hands, you can see the regeneration. So I believe that Jesus can see the heart when he desires. We can't. But what is being pointed out is we see this response that is different. Before he was doing one thing, he's placed his faith, he's been regenerated, and now his actions in his life are different. Why did Jesus pick Z, that's Zacchaeus, by the way, why did Jesus pick Z to host him that night? And it's a message 
that we've heard about the lost sheep on 515, the lost coin in 515, the lost son who returns in, on 515, is verse 10. This is our God. Listen to this. This is the God we just spent time worshiping in song. The Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are lost. That's this weird predicament we find ourselves in. Because it is so against the grain, against the current of our culture. If you are lost and floundering in a job, how many times does your supervisor come and say, bro, sister, let me help you out. No, they talk about you behind closed doors. They start documenting things. And then you're gone because you're useless. So what we have to do is fake it till you make it, kind of, right? We have to be good. We have to earn our standing. Nobody wants us if we're not valuable to them. The thing about agape love is that even though our love for God pales in comparison of the standard it should be, that God's love is relentless for us and it's not based upon our love for Him. He's chosen us and He loves us. And then He will chase the sheep down. He will find the coin. He will accept the prodigal son back. The Son of Man came to seek the lost and to save them. That's our God. We move on for the sake of 30,000 feet above the text. As we're not trying to do a verse-by-verse study right now, we'll do that in Acts. But right here, we're trying to get the big layout of Luke, so let's keep going. The crowd was listening to everything that Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. But before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their prophets were. The first servant reported, Master, I've invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with what little I entrusted to you, so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You'll be governor of five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. <coughs> you wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then, turning to the other standing nearby, the king ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten pounds. But master, they replied, he already has ten pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use it well, what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want to make me their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. <laughs> I wasn't expecting uh, verse 27. When I read that, I was like, again, I got to preach on this. So, 
I don't know if we like the idea of repent and follow God because of fear. Because we don't like to be coerced by fear. And I think, if I were to try to summarize, and I may, I may get some heat for this because it might not be perfect, but if I were to summarize what is taught in the Bible, it looks something like this. We have a loving, gracious, merciful God. We've been told that. He came and He proved all those attributes to be exactly true, and so much so that we don't even have right words to be able to describe really how great our God actually is in those things. It goes on to talk about a just God, that He is right, He makes things right, and in the end, everything will be put right based upon His definition of rightness. And He proves that by knowing justice must be served. So instead of a whiteboard of sins that we wipe away, Jesus comes and justly takes care of that sin. He pays the penalty. And then our debt is wiped because it's been paid by Jesus. The fear of God is implicit throughout the Bible, though. Because the reality is that in the end, that essentially will happen. So while we have all these wonderful attributes that we see and accept as good, gracious, and out of this world, and even His sovereignty, how He ordains things and moves things, we're like, that's wonderful, we can't even comprehend how that's possible. His justice, even, we can wrap our minds around that. And then the fear of the Lord scares us. I think that's normal. But that's the reality of having a king like our God who demands His people to worship and serve Him. They're like, well, what right does He have to do that? He literally knits you together in your mother's womb. He designed and created you. Everything that is he has created, and now He sustains it. Without Him, we would lose breath. The, the, our, our, our universe would spin out out of control, and we would all be goners. But He sustains it in some way. He created it. He knows you. So the fear of God is implicit upon a king who can take breath away, who determines destiny, who takes rebellions and has the earth swallow them. Cities that essentially are populating hell and there's no one righteous in them, not even one. He smokes them with fire and tar because He is God. That is true about the God we serve and worship. And yet at the same time, all these other things are true. And our minds cannot comprehend all of those things together. And I want to comfort you with these words. That's okay. <laughs> the, the slight humor of that comment is that, that, that doesn't actually help because we can't understand it. This is an example of where the fear, we get reminded of the fear of the Lord because oftentimes we forget that fear of the Lord. We forget the power. We forget that He's a jealous God. We forget that there's a time when you die or He returns that, that, you will, that your destiny will be chosen and his, and his sword of justice will divide bone and marrow. It'll be perfect justice. You'll get exactly 
what you deserve. And so then the question comes, how can we possibly deserve to be with the king of the universe when we've sinned against him so much? And it's the covering of Jesus. Our account balance of sin is zero because Jesus paid our debts. This whole section of text we just read about a king going away and nobody likes him and he comes back. Well, I guess some people liked him. Some people obeyed him. Some people didn't, right? All of that. This is um, arguably uh, paralleling something that they would have been familiar with. Um, Archelaus, he was uh, the son of Herod the Great. Um, Some may call him Herod not so great. But he's the son of Herod the Great, and he was going to be given one of the four territories uh, to rule over. They were going to make him king. And so um, he went off to be crowned king because the emperor of Rome has to approve any king of a territory. And there were people that went along with uh, Archelaus and and said, uh, went along to say, hey, we don't want him as our king. And so from what I understand, the emperor of Rome said, okay, he's going to be the ruler of your territory, but we won't call him king. And they're like, okay. So, and then he comes back, and, uh, and part of the reason people didn't like him, I'll give you one story um, of why people didn't like him. When his dad uh, divvied out that, those territories, within three months of him, of um, Archelaus taking over one of those territories, within three months, uh, during one of the Passover celebrations, uh, he slaughtered 3,000 Jews. So, um, not liked. And then, you're going to make him ruler over this area. They're like, no, we're sending delegates. We're sending people along with you. And uh, they're going to say, no, 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 no. And so the Roman emperor kind of was like, okay, no, you're heard. He's still going to rule you nearly the same. We just don't give him the name king. He's paralleling that same story where they'll get the idea of leaving to be crowned king and coming back. The reason why Jesus is using it is because he's saying the kingdom's not now, right? It's coming and that's one point. The other point is that when he leaves, there's certain things he's leaving us with, right? He's leaving us with responsibilities and resources. And just like we talked about previously, we, there are things we're supposed to do with those resources. Use them for kingdom purposes. Are you going to waste them or use them for kingdom purposes? There's a question that Jesus asks often, and it's taught to us, actually. This is a question, if you ever wonder, like, what kind of questions would Jesus ask me? And you play that game. Here's one of them. What did you do for me, or what did you not do for me while I was away? He asks that a lot. In a lot of the parables, um, when it comes down to the king returns, the master returns, He divides them based on what they did while they were there. And just like earlier, this is important. Listen to this. Just like earlier, the actions that he's determining and dividing with is is based upon his already knowledge of the heart's condition. And out of the heart's condition comes the fruit, the things that we do, right? And so there are times where people will go, and we've heard about them, often referred to as Pharisees, that they go and they do all the right things, but their heart is wrong. Jesus says, no, 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 that doesn't, that doesn't trick me. I know your heart. And then there's people that go and they do the right thing, and they have the right heart condition. And he says, look at these things. These are examples. This is the fruit of your heart's condition. It all comes down to Jesus knowing our heart. And there's fruit that comes out of that. 
For the sake of time, I can't read you Matthew chapter 25, 35 through 45, but that is an example of when he says, what did you do for me or on behalf of me? How did you use those resources? You have life here on earth. One of the coolest things that I found, one of the coolest things I found after I decided, I believe that God is real. I believe that the Bible is actually accurate and I believe what the Bible says is that all of a sudden, I no longer have a question of what my purpose is here on earth. What should I spend my time doing? How do I go about this and that? There's small questions in there, but the big question is no longer there. It's to glorify God. And everything that I have, the Bible teaches, has been allowed to you by the Lord. And so then we would ask, well, what do I do with all these things and how I spend my life? And the Bible is very clear about it. Use it for kingdom purposes. What's the kingdom purposes? Well, among other things, the Great Commission. And we've talked about that. We have to be equipped here at Cornerstone. If you've been going to Cornerstone for several years, you have to be being equipped. We have no more excuses not to know what we're supposed to be doing with our life here. Glorifying God and using everything that we have, our time, talents, our treasures, to glorify God and do His business He would have us do here. And the Bible tells us how to do that. Verses 28 through 48 is the triumphal entry. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem and then the cleansing of the temple. We already taught about that on Palm Sunday, so we're going to move right through that onto chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and the elders came to him, and they demanded, By what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Let me ask you a question first, he replied. Did John's authority to be baptized come from heaven, or was it merely human? They talked it over amongst themselves. And this is what they said amongst themselves right here. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask why we didn't believe John, when John, right, John prepared the way for Jesus. So if we say, well, it's from heaven, they say, well, why don't you believe John? But if we say it was merely human, the people will stone us because they are convinced that John was a prophet. And so therein lies why Jesus said what he said, right? He knew this would happen. So they finally replied that they didn't know. And the Jews says, well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you what I know. This is attempt to trap and arrest Jesus, number 331. Then it goes on. And this is addressed to the people, but this is intended for the opponents. This is 9 through 19. He's saying it to the group. It's intended for the opponents of Christ. The ones who, when he is going to go away and get crowned king, they're like, we don't want you as king. This is for them. Now Jesus turned to the people again and told them this story. A man planted a vineyard, leased it to tenant farmers, and moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers attacked the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. Is this going to go well? Let's just stop for a second. Is this going to go well? No. So I, I, would, I believe that what is, what is being talked about here, and the, there's not really much debate around this, in this parable, the servants sent are Old Testament prophets. Right? The Old Testament prophets come in and they say, repent and follow Jesus. Or repent and turn to God. Right? Over and over and over again. Repent and turn to God. And you know what they do with the prophets? There's two options. One is, oh, hey, there's a prophet from, from God here. He said we need to repent of these things and turn to God. So let's go ahead and do that. Another one is that they stab him with a, with a, with a fork, and then they put him on a, on a stick somewhere, and they light him on fire and cut his head off. That's another option. Many of them were killed. And so these examples are servants that are being sent, 
and they're rejected, right? They're beat up, they're, they're, they're tossed away, and, or they're murdered. These servants come in on behalf of the master. So think Old Testament prophets. So the owner sent another servant, so another prophet. But they also insulted him, beat him up, and sent him away empty-handed. A third man was sent, and they wounded him and chased him away. What will I do, the owner asks. He says, I know, I will send my cherished son. Is this sounding familiar? Let's crack that code. Who's that? Jesus, perfect. All right, I will send my cherished, cherished son. Surely they will respect him. And they will listen to him. But when the tenants, farmers saw his son, they said to each other, here comes the heir to the estate. Guess what their plan is? Kill to kill him. Guess what happened to Jesus? Perfect. We got it. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do to them? Jesus asked. I tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. How terrible that such a thing should ever happen. His listeners protested. Jesus looked at them and said, Then what does the scripture mean? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Everyone who stumbles over the stone will be broken to pieces and will crush anyone who falls on it. The teachers of religious law and leading priests wanted to arrest Jesus immediately because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. But they're afraid of the people's reaction. This is attempt to trap and arrest Jesus, number 332. You see what's happening? Like the, reason, the reasons these are being told is that we need to know because of Old Testament stuff and also New Testament teachings of Jesus and the result of Jesus' ministry that the leading priests and Pharisees, religious leaders, didn't like what Jesus was saying. And Jesus went on to teach them, this is, what the, this is what God's law was and means. And I am the prophesied one to come and save the world. And they're like, we want to be the saviors of the world. And Jesus says, how dare you? And so they keep rejecting the servants that come in. And, and we would all think, surely the son of, of the master, they would say, well, this is, this is a son. We've got to listen to him. And Jesus is saying, I am the son. And guess what happens when you reject the son? The master comes, he dispenses of you, and gives it to others. And it's essentially what we see with the gospel going forth, as well as also salvation. Those who reject Christ will be cast away, and those who accept the Son will be saved by mercy and grace. These have already sinned, right? The servants, the, the tenants, had already sinned. They beat up and sent away the people that the master had sent. We were all in that place. We've been beat up and sent away truth over and over and over again in our lives. We've, every time we sin, we do that. Obviously, the specific context are prophets here. 20 through 26. Watching for their opportunity, the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men. They tried to get Jesus to say something that couldn't be reported to the Roman governor, that could be reported to the Roman governor so that he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know that you speak and teach what is right and are not influenced by what others think. You teach the way of godly truth. Now tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar? He saw through their trickery and said, show me a Roman coin. Whose picture is stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So they failed to trap him by what he said in front of other people. Instead, they were amazed by his answer, and they become silent. Attempt to trap and arrest Jesus, number 333. Moving on to 27 through 40. 
I'm going to summarize this one for time. They give an example of a woman who is married, who is married, and the husband dies, married again, husband dies, married. So it has a bunch of husbands. And so they're like, okay, well, in the afterlife, then, who is the woman actually married to? They thought Jesus would essentially just stumble all over this. And instead, Jesus says, essentially, there is no marriage in heaven. And they're like, right? They just didn't think of it. I mean, the marriage is so common here, they just never thought that Jesus would be able to answer that so precisely. And long story short, oh, and also he goes on to explain that there is life after death because he says that I am, like current, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who are already dead. He says, I am the God of them, right? That's attempt to trap Jesus, number 334. Then verses 41 through 47 say this, Then Jesus presented them with a question. Why is it, he asked, that the Messiah is said to be the son of David? For David himself wrote in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies. Make them a footstool under your feet. Since David called the Messiah Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? Then with the crowds listening, he turned to his disciples and said, Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and love to receive respectful greetings as they walk through the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor and the synagogues and the head of tables at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they'll be severely punished. This is now the warning. Watch out for these hypocrites. You don't want to be on their team when the master returns. You understand? And this is prevalent in our culture also. We see it all the time. You see it in pastors even as well. They will do very sinful things, taking advantage of others, and you know their private life is a complete mess. And then they come out in public and they're all put together, very pious, and try to make you think that they are a dead-to-themselves, alive-in-Christ human being. Meanwhile, they're shamelessly cheating, taking advantage of people. They love the worship of themselves. They take seats of honor. They want glory. That's called a hypocrite. It's warning against that. Because going back up to the top again, I hope we see how all these things were connecting them back together. That God knows the heart of who we are. That's how He can identify a hypocrite in a second. And it matters. Why? Why does it matter if you're a hypocrite? Because your actions don't save you. It's not a matter if I do more good than bad. Your actions can't save you. We need the covering of Jesus Christ, His work on the cross, imputed into our life. That's the only way we can be saved is to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and, and, and up and, and at, at whatever judgment looks like in that moment that we can stand there and say, my faith was in Jesus Christ. For, this, for, for my salvation and for the forgiveness of sins. And, and if somebody were to ask, well, what did you do to deserve this? And you say, nothing. And Jesus says, 
He's with me, though. Because we don't deserve that. The reason why on the other end we deserve it is because we're clothed with Jesus' righteousness. Not because we have done anything to deserve it ourselves. Now let me end with this. This is the encouraging part. So if you snoozed a little bit there, this is a good time to wake up because you can walk away with this. All the things that Jesus hates and condemns, we've, just talk, we've talked about. We've been going over those things. But right now, we see a snippet or like a peek into a window of what Jesus loves. What he approves of, what he admires, what he honors. What's honorable in the sight of the king we get to see here. It's not the rich man having everything together in an, or, in, in an order with a huge Bible as the centerpiece of his living room that he never reads or never obeys. It is not the hypocrite who has nearly every word of the Bible committed to memory but does not have faith in Christ alone. It is not even the one who kept all the commandments since he was a child but one. It wasn't the self-righteous man who tithed the highest amount out of all of the, worship, all of the worshipers. This is it. This is a sneak peek again into what the Lord finds valuable. We see it a bit in the very beginning with Zacchaeus. Arguably, there's thousands of people that have gathered. So much so that there's a wee little man that can't see Jesus and wants to see him. And so out of all those people, Jesus sees the heart of Zacchaeus in that tree. And he calls him down. And we're able to see this transition, this change, this redemption, this regeneration happen in this man. And then at the very end of our, our section of text, this is chapter 21 now, moving right along. 1 through 4, listen to this. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped two small coins. I tell you the truth. Whenever you see I tell you the truth, that means you start actually thinking about what you're reading again. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. I mean, the statement isn't true if we think he's talking about money, right? If we think it's money... And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, listen to this. The, the poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them. You know, like the person who doesn't get it, right? The blind one, like the one without ears to hear says, that's not true. I gave way more than that person. But what is Jesus looking at again? He's looking at the heart. He's looking at who you are. When we say heart, we mean the, the inner depths of what makes you who you are. And what he sees is a woman who has this faith that, that is way beyond what these rich people have given. As far as a tithe or an offering to, to the king, what he sees is like these people gave hundreds of thousands of dollars. But these eight cents this, this woman gave here is far more valuable than anything those other hypocrites have given. And that is one of the truths right there. That is one of the truths by which we live our lives as followers of Jesus. Jesus doesn't need your money. Right? If he can create human beings in life, in water, in atmosphere, he doesn't need dollar bills. What he wants is us. 
And then when he leaves, which he is, right, he ascended to heaven and we're waiting for him to return. In that time, what we're taught over and over and over again, really packed into this section as he heads to Jerusalem, what is packed into this section is how you live right now matters. Because the king said, do this. And who are we to say, no. And in a sense, there's a little bit of this. There are people who say, I don't want Jesus as my king. And apparently what happens when Jesus gets back he says, I, I, I know you didn't want me as your king. But I am king. And as king, I decide eternity. Forever. And what saves us is faith that produces itself in fruit. So it's not the fruit that's saving us. But he's going to call out that fruit on both sides to reveal to us our heart's condition of whether our faith was in Christ alone or not. And so that, that's the challenge. I don't think we need to spoon feed any more than that, right? Like that's, What is our life about? What are we doing with the resources God has given us? How have we responded to the king saying, I'm king? And also we know we don't have forever. And then we see in the end a bit of this window open this curtain pulled back into the heart of who our king is and he has this compassion and this love and this patience and this gentleness for this old widow who would have been cast aside in this culture who came and gave nothing where they probably would have said just keep your money old lady and get out of here and Jesus says she's mine let's pray Father we come to you this morning with a lot of your word I'll keep this prayer short. I, I, I just pray that we trust in that your word has power and that lives are changed this morning. Not because of an illustration about homecoming or trying to wrap our minds around, I'm a short person also. But what your word is actually teaching, your word has power and it teaches a truth and I pray that our lives would be changed by it. And I do pray that our world would be encouraged by this word that we studied this morning. We love you. And in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We hope that you found it encouraging and challenging. Please feel free to share this podcast with friends and family, and we will see you all next week.